0: Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast, and I'm your host, Ben Plumley. This is a podcast about global health and human rights. We explore global health challenges, particularly infectious disease, and how societies adapt and respond to them, whether it's with vaccines, treatments, and prevention technologies, or whether it's good old-fashioned behavior change. This episode is part of a special series brought to you in partnership by the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, the Alliance connects experts and sectors across the Bay Area to catalyze innovation and impacting global health. Its members are world-class academic institutions, technology and biotech companies, and non-profits, based in the San Francisco Bay Area, and all committed to improving the care for the most vulnerable populations around the world. You can find out more about the Alliance at its website, www.bayareaglobalhealth.org. Well, in this episode, we are going onto the front lines and meeting a doctor based in a city that has mounted, so far it seems, an effective prevention response to COVID-19. We will be joined by Dr. Alison Sombradero, who is the Chief Medical Officer of the San Francisco Community Health Center, a role she has assumed barely six months ago. Now, prior to that, she was the director of the HIV division at the Alameda Health System. She obtained her MD from the University of La Sabana in Chia, Colombia, and her voluntary work has included, most recently, board membership of women organized to respond to life-threatening diseases, world, in Oakland, California. Alison, welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast.
1: Thank you, Ben. I'm so honored you've been inviting me to this podcast. Oh, it's no. Very exciting.
0: We're really really uh happy and grateful that you can give us the time in between your extraordinary schedule. Now, as we were setting up, you had to dash off to take a call about uh, a potential COVID-19 test that was needed for one of your patients. What was going on there?
1: Well, yeah, what What's going on is the, the nature of our job here uh, in the Tenderloin. Um, a patient with mild symptoms who is living in one of the 10 cities and um, the patient was already tested by the provider, but the question, what we were um, communicating about was if we were going to send the test to our private um, uh, testing laboratory testing or we were going to call DPH because possibly this patient needs case tracing if it's positive and mostly because this patient needs isolation. Meanwhile, the test results are coming back. So this is the, the nature of our job. Not only decide if the patient needs to get tested or not, but where are we going to isolate the patient waiting for results? And what are the, highly, the high consequences of this?
0: We're really, really uh, happy and grateful that you can give us the time in between your extraordinary schedule. Um, but I wanted to really start with just knowing a bit more about you and, um, and learning a bit about your career and your history. So what really brought you into medicine? What made you want to be a doctor?
1: Um, I think it was the combination of science and service and the fact that I am a very, very social person and I get all my energy from social interactions. And I think since very early in my life, I knew that what really gives me purpose in life is community and service. So that uh, combination turned out to be extremely, extremely good for for me and hopefully for the community.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting balance from On the one hand, uh, those that, uh, how shall I put this, want to be lab rats and those that want to be out in the community. And you mentioned service um, and and your career has all been about a duty of service. Why is service important to you?
1: I think service is what gives us purpose, or at least to me, it gives me purpose in life. And uh, it also puts things in perspective. And with that understanding, every day in your life, you're doing something different. You're connected with different people and you are making a difference into somebody's life or a big community. So um, I think it's what we are here in this world mm. is because of service.
0: Yeah, I completely agree So you you were educated in uh, Colombia where you got your MD. What brought you to the Bay Area?
1: It was HIV. It was HIV medicine. Um, When I was in in Colombia and I was doing my medical school, I had this um, experience at one of the government hospitals when there was... um, an HIV ward, and the patients were so young and they were dying, and to me, that was very uh, difficult to understand, and I really wanted to put my life in service for these patients. Um, So I knew that places like San Francisco are one of the pioneer places for HIV research and and care, in HIV care, and I wanted to be here and be trained in one of the best cities in the world for HIV training.
0: And, and you stayed, and here you are at the San Francisco Community Health Center as its chief medical officer. Can you tell us a bit about your role and what your, your day looks like?
1: Sure. So it is a combination. It's actually a dream job because it is a combination of patient care. I, I manage a, a panel of patients, and I also work in uh, structuring the clinic in um, increasing patient volumes, in understanding what does the community need from us and how do we tailor patient care in a way that is compassionate and in a way that um, is uh, dynamic for the patient population that we have at San Francisco Community Health Center. We are located in the middle of the Tenderloin, so it is definitely a, a very specific population and uh, we do have um, a big number of patients who are impacted by HIV, hepatitis C, um, also substance abuse, mental disease. And we also have a big, very vibrant community of transgender patients. So um, it is a combination of how to integrate also all of the programs that we have at San Francisco Community Health Center. Um, this organization has been very well known for Thirty plus years for their programs for prevention for positives for now for prep for uh, transgender community engagement. Um, so it is um, my role is about integrating all of these services in order to make uh, a great center that will give wraparound services, including um, medical services, to our patients.
0: And and so. Coming on to COVID-19 and its impact on your work, when did you realize that COVID-19 was going to affect your clients um, and the community that that you serve?
1: Well, I think March 16, when we had the ordinance of the shelter in place, was a very difficult day because just that wording of shelter in place put us all in awe because we thought, We do have probably um, 50% of our patients are experiencing homelessness or are marginally housed. So what does that mean, shelter in place for our patients? So the combination of that with the the reality that these patients don't have resources to protect themselves, to have access to um, hand washing, things that we just take for granted in our daily lives, made us think that this was going to be very impactful for our community. And um, that because our patients are already very disadvantaged, they do have chronic diseases that have not been well managed. They um, have comorbidities that that are not completely controlled. They were definitely fitting in the category of being at risk for severe COVID disease.
0: And you mentioned shelter in place, and that's... Um an instruction i suppose that we got both from the governor of california but particularly from uh, from the san francisco uh, county and its uh, department of public health and its you know the city's mayor so so really what does shelter in place mean for clients that are homeless i mean you know just last week there were uh, there is essentially a city of tents that has built up around uh, the San Francisco Community Health Center's major clinic in in the Tenderloin and these are people who are not wearing masks who don't have access to basic running water so um just trying to get my head around what shelter in place means for them
1: yeah well it is a matter of education um and understanding what are they uh what do they think shelter in place means, right? So what we're trying to do is getting a sense of what does it mean for them. And and it is really they're they're a community with such a high resilience, and in the middle of all of the problems that they do have day to day, they have been able to adapt so well to all of the difficult circumstances that they actually continue to Mingle and being social. And um, they are definitely socializing around the areas where there's food provided, including our, our services, because we do provide um, breakfast every day for, for our patients. So uh, for them, the definition of shelter in place is very loose. Because they or they are completely in the streets or they have to go to shelters where there's no possibility for the six feet distancing between one bed and another or one chair and another. And in the uh, the 10 cities, there's definitely not not much distancing. So um, I am actually surprised about um, the fact that there's not been so many outbreaks around mm. the, the homeless community. And at this point, I am surely not sure if this is because it is a fact that there hasn't been so many outbreaks. There's been few and, and very serious. But it, is, it might be also because we are not uh, testing massively. So we really don't know. And, I... and patients might not um, um, access care, uh, health care uh, places or hospitals for, for medical attention.
0: I want to come back to the whole question of testing in just a second. But uh, your client base uh, has had um, great medical need. These are people that uh, have health challenges like mental illness, HIV. You mentioned uh, there's a large transgender community that that seek services from the San Francisco Community Health Center. And presumably that includes, you know, getting their hormone treatment, re- uh, you know, regularly. Uh, so, so in this environment of shelter in place, um, how have you gone about providing the normal care and treatment that they would expect?
1: So, this has been a challenge, but it has been a really incredible and uplifting challenge because we have been able to connect with the community and making changes on how healthcare is provided in these situations. So for the hormonal therapy, we have um, increased the the frequency, so decreased the frequency from weekly um, injections to every two weeks. So then we uh, don't have patients coming here so often and we minimize the exposure. We have also offered the patients who were um, coming here for injections to switch them to oral medications just for for the few months that shelter in place um, is, is an ordinance. So that's also one of the solutions. Uh, other patients have actually learned how to self-inject so they can do it uh, from home or their shelter or their, their tent um, house. And uh, for other um, diseases, what we've been doing is we provided three months supply to all of our patients living with HIV to make sure that they don't need to come here for labs and asking for refills. But we are making sure that these patients have their, their uh, antiretrovirals. Um, and uh, also we are providing... Uh, a COVID RN line, so um, the, our registered nurses are calling all our patients proactively, all of the patients who are living with HIV, the patients who have hypertension, diabetes, to um, screen for for COVID symptoms. So not waiting for the patients to call, but we are actually uh, reaching to them. And because we do have a population that do not have phone um, telephones, they, we are actually Uh, having two um, outreach teams that are going to where we do know where the patients are. And we are even doing uh, home visits for patients and not only for medical needs, but also for behavioral health needs. We actually have uh, a therapist who is doing um, home visits. And of course, we we are uh, switching many, many um, visits to virtual care. But we do have a, a subset of the population that is not doesn't fit in the the, the virtual care uh, model.
0: And 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 I'm really intrigued by this because you know, one of the lessons that we say we're learning uh, during COVID-19 um, is our ability to make use of digital services, of social media yeah. so effectively. And and could you tell us a bit more about then the outreach teams, the folks that are going out into uh, the tent city, into the communities, into the, the hotels, I guess, um, and, and what sort of precautions and protections are they uh, getting from uh from the center and, and what are they offering clients as well
1: so we needed to do of course a lot of training uh before getting the outreach teams together because of course the safety of our staff is extremely important for us so we did training on how to don and do protective equipment so how to take it uh, and how to put it on and uh, we also fitted uh, N95 masks for all of our staff to make sure that they do have a mask that has a tight seal. So uh, they act like a true respirator when they are um, close to patients. Uh, and we did training on how to take vital signs and we developed a um, protocols to make sure that they ask the right screening questions in order to make decisions if they're going to call us, the providers, or we, the providers, we have to go to where the patients are at. And what what the services that they are providing are, um, first of all, the screening for, for COVID in terms of the questions, and also asking if actually they do have food security, if they do have um, a place to stay. And um, also, they're asking if they have any primary care provider or they, if they don't, if they need some um, refills of medications or if they need any attention, medical attention. And we are also um, screening patients for urgent issues like abscesses and wound care because the patients are not going to big hospitals like the San Francisco General because of the, the fear that they might um, get infected with COVID in these big settings where there's many, many patients um, suffering with, with the virus. So we are acting right now in a way of uh, urgent care for, for this community. Um, so the the spectrum of what the services that we offer is very broad and it also includes even behavioral health because if patients are having an anxiety crisis or they are having decompensated um, mental health uh, symptoms, we do have the possibility to deploy our uh, behavioral health uh, providers to take care of the patients.
0: Wow. Um, and so how are you, well, I guess this brings us on really to the question of just how the city has responded to COVID-19 and what we're really facing in terms of numbers. But but as we get into that question, um, uh, are the are the centers teams the outreach teams okay? You've not seen any uh, COVID nineteen or any concerns you you may have with the with the outreach workers.
1: So we so far we have not had any positive uh, COVID nineteen staff amongst our San Francisco um, staff. You know that we do have a, a Chicago staff. Mm, but that's that's uh, different. So we don't. But definitely protective equipment is very, very important. And we we have had multiple times during these past six weeks they they need to um, send people back home because they are presenting some symptoms and they do need to get tested and they need to isolate until, until test is um, test results are, are back. Uh, and we also have had uh, frontline um, staff that have needed to be home. They need to be home because they have some symptoms and they symptoms need to be resolved before coming back. But all of them, all of us, actually I was also tested at some point, all of us have been uh, uh, negative um, hmm. so far.
0: So, so San Francisco so far seems to have dodged a bullet. Um, you know, it's reported far fewer numbers of COVID infections than perhaps it originally expected. Um, what's going on there, do you think?
1: So, um, I will give you some data. Numbers are absolutely fascinating. So, when the the um, uh, pandemic started and when the, the pandemic came to the U.S. and we started seeing the number of cases rising in Santa Clara County, um, researchers from UCSF and Stanford, they created a mathematical mo- module, and then from this model, they um, they predicted that with the number of cases that started in the Bay Area and around the area, there were going to be probably 44,000 deaths in the six counties, and so far we have less than 200. Mm. So, uh, it is absolutely incredible, and we, we at the beginning thought that this was going to hit us really, really big. Now, in terms of San Francisco, so far for today, we do have um, 1,233 positive cases and 21 deaths. Um, And, you know, numbers are difficult to understand here because we are not testing um, massively. So maybe if we look at the death rate, it will be uh, a little bit more uh, understandable in terms of like how good the city is doing uh, and I think it is a combination of this is a lens, uh, a not densely populated city, mm. right? It is a small city and it is not densely populated. And usually the city you see that is very full of people, but people are not living in the city. It is a transient uh, population. They do live in the uh, in the East Bay or other places. So uh, I think that maybe that's why there's very small numbers. And another thing is that definitely, uh, the shelter in place ordinance took place very early. So compared to other um even to other places in in California, as the six counties of the of the Bay Area were the first ones to have it. And, and also compared to the other states, we definitely started early. Um, and also the response of the the city in the Department of Public Health has been um I will not say like absolutely astonishing because it's it has it Yeah, it's been it's taking time and mostly for the homeless population. I think that my my take on this is that maybe for population that are housed, the response has been really good. But um, right now, and I'm talking about today, uh, things have definitely changed. And um, there's definitely the response of the city in the Department of Public Health in terms of um, getting the hotels for isolation in uh, making sure that testing is a little bit broader and that criteria is not so um, strict, so I might say that the numbers of the positive patients are a combination of at the beginning of the uh, pandemic here in the in San Francisco, the criteria for testing was extremely strict, and we were not able to to screen a lot of people. And so um, yes,
0: it does it does seem that. Uh, okay, you compare San Francisco to New York or Manhattan and particularly, and of course, there you do see a difference between the density of populations, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. But I guess one of the questions that we've all been faced with is how can we be certain that we're not seeing an epidemic when we haven't been able to test very broadly? And as you said, the uh, uh, testing criteria have been quite um, quite strict. That means we've not been testing widely. And and so to what extent do you think that is giving us a false sense of security? And, you know, are we essentially going to see a, a sort of a flattened curve, but a curve nonetheless?
1: Yes, I think so. I think this is definitely a false sense of security, because uh, when you look at data, for example, from the cruises, um, eh, the Prince Diamond Cruise, you um, Um, I think the numbers were around like 700 patients of the whole cruise. They they tested positive, and that was 19% of the population of the cruise. And then from those, 46% of these um, um, attendants of the cruise were asymptomatic, didn't have symptoms. So when you look at that, then you extrapolate that to a city um, in a county and you do know that there's gonna be a lot of um, citizens that are not presenting symptoms, but they are positive. And the biggest thing here is that you are able to transmit the disease, even if you don't have any symptoms. So I do think that this is giving us a false sense of uh, security. And if we don't continue our big efforts to stay, in home, stay at home and to isolate, then we're, we, might, mm, we might see um, a spike.
0: So, so there's good news, but there's also perseverance that we've got to continue uh, working hard at this. And so, I'm I, I'm wondering what the, if I may, what the effects have been on you. I mean. So, you know, you joined the San Francisco Community Health Center barely six months ago as its chief <laughs> medical officer. And I remember being at the launch ceremony for uh, for your appointment mm-hmm. and uh, hearing you talk about all the important work that needed to be done around HIV, homelessness, mental health. Uh, how could you have imagined that something like this would happen in uh, after six months?
1: No, he's... he's- uh, is surreal, yes. But I think that it is very, very hard for, for the world and for, for U.S. and for California, for our relatives, for everybody. But it, it is an opportunity to change the way we take care of patients. So um, it, yes, it has had an impact on me, of course. I think I am super busy and it's a different kind of busy Um, It is draining because um, it is a busy state where you have to have to you have to be very reactive every day. There's changes Um, every day. We have um, different um, protocols and guidelines from DPH and they continue to change. So um, this capacity of adapt to change so quickly is day by day. It is very, very hard on on us as, as providers and frontline staff, uh, physically and, and mentally. Um, but I think it is a very good opportunity to understand that change is also good, and that there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from from this um, a pandemic in terms of how do we take care of of patients and communities.
0: So, so what are you learning about how to? take care of patients in a community that has mental health issues, that uh, uh, many of the clients are homeless. What? Wh- how do you see changes positively happening as a result of this?
1: Um, I think in, in this uh, agency, we're going to increase our street medicine uh, approach. So, um, even though we have had always outreach teams. We have been uh, very centralized in seeing, like, doing medical care and behavioral health care for the patient in our building. But now we understand because we've seen the impact that street medicine has that we should also provide big, big efforts in in, uh, in street medicine and also integration of care. We always talk about integrative care. But really what is happening right now with the programs, so prevention from positives, the PrEP programs, the uh, transgender community living with HIV, and the clinic with our primary care, Mm -hmm. um, all of these uh, programs we have merged and we are all working for the patients and for the benefit of the community. And this is something that actually didn't happen. We in agencies tend to silo and to take care of only our own pocket of patients. And this is extremely uh, positive that actually we are um, integrating care in, in such a way.
0: And and you were talking about essential frontline staff. You are one of those frontline staff. So you are ha- going into the clinic, what, every day, um, requiring to uh, uh, utilize uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, every day. How are you managing with that?
1: It is challenging because um, we don't have um, a big supply of PPE. And um, even, well, we've had funds, relief funds federally and, and from, from the state, but there's no opportunity to buy. The demand is very um, is 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 very high, and and there's not much uh, possibilities to buy PP. Um, so we have relied on the Department of Public Health first, but they are also having their own challenges. So really, the PP that we have had from them is not much. Um, and um, we have also relied on donations. So, actually, one from, from, is from one of your contacts. So, thank you so much, Ben. Um, so, we have relied on donations. It's, it's incredible and how the world has been collaborating. The whole world has been collaborating with, with us. And then we've had, had um, donations from, from Asia, from China. So, it is incredible how um, the, the community, has been working uh, together we now that we do know that everybody in the city needs to be masked not only healthcare health providers and uh, patients when they're coming to to healthcare facilities but everybody should be masked when going to the supermarket and um uh, taking public transportation um actually our staff and the relatives of our staff they're making um fabric Um, masks for our patients. So that's how we are trying to do it. It is um, very scary Mm -hmm. to actually do all of this um, testing knowing that we're not going to have all the PPE that we we require. And I think at this point, we are um, mostly asking for uh, N95s for the respirators. And for some reason, uh, most of our staff is uh, fitted small in the N95s in and they are, th- they're not available in, in the U.S. So those are definitely, um, challenges. Um, actually, um, there is some fund that is going to be released to purchase a machine that is going to sanitize N95s. So we are just trying to make the best of it. So if we, we cannot, uh, dispose it, then we might be able to sanitize it,
0: so this is a conversation um, uh, uh, to use the phrase "We should take offline and and how we go about making sure that the the center has the protective equipment that it needs and um, I, I think like many folks um, in the Bay Area Global Health Alliance team, particularly we we have connections and we need to have that conversation yes. um, what makes what keeps you sane? Um, I, I know that you and I have been on a number of Zoom calls, and uh, both of us have very noisy dogs that decide to make appearances uh, during those Zoom calls. Uh, do your do your pooches help you stay sane?
1: Oh, totally! Um, I think even pre-COVID area, my my dog is my best therapist. It has always been. So definitely, pets are. Very important, a very important um, uh, support uh, for for all of us human beings, and, and for us in the the front lines, just coming home and uh, having the the little tail and and ears and all the happiness that they give us and the unconditional love is very very important. So um, coping with that and of course going home and and having long walks with the doggy are are very important too. Um, I like dancing. I've always liked dancing, so actually, me and my partner we just put on some music and we dance. We cannot go to places or have parties, but we we continue to dance. Um, and the the Zoom meetings with the family in Colombia and in other parts of the US are very very important for for connection. Um, also, meditating is actually something that it definitely keeps me keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. And things like this, like a like a podcast, is yes. fantastic too to just get away of their routine and and do different things.
0: So I'm I'm asking all of our guests that come on the show this question: um, Have you been binge watching any television shows? <laughs> and if you have, what have you been watching that stands out that we can recommend to our subscribers?
1: <laughs> uh, so I I am a fan of food television, so. I I love Chef's Table. To me, that uh, production is absolutely fantastic. So I've been watching them again and again. I just love the productions of Chef's Table. Um, I watched recently Unorthodox, the Netflix uh, series about... Um, um, I'm not gonna spoil it, so it's absolutely fantastic. I think an orthodox is an, an incredible, incredible series, and um, I'm guilty of being um, to succumb to Tiger King. Oh <laughs>
0: actually,
1: no! I did actually. I my 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 partner's family. They they started to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, I don't think it's the kind of show that I will watch, but I will. And it was a Friday and I started at 9 p.m. And I I uh, turned off the computer at 4 a.m.
0: Yeah, that, that was pretty much our experience. <laughs> Although there was a special uh, additional episode that we've refused, uh, refused to watch on principle. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. But, um, but we, so we have uh, something here, which is MasterChef Mornings. And oh. we make sure that we watch an episode of Gordon Ramsay and his Master Chef team uh, oh. every morning. That sort of helps helps keep us safe. That's so. fabulous.
1: I wish I could do that. My my mornings are at 7.30 or at 8 a.m. meeting uh, with the San Francisco Community uh, Consortium, the clinic consortium about COVID. So unfortunately, I unfortunately cannot watch Ma- MasterChef at that time.
0: <laughs> Gordon Ramsay will be gutted. Well... Uh, <laughs> Well, look, Alison. I, I I don't want to take any take up any more of your time. The important, crucial work that you're doing. Just a huge thank you to you for uh, all the commitment and all the service that you are giving our communities. Um, Alison, you are a shot in the arm. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much Ben. Um I think the the team at San Francisco Community Health Center has been absolutely incredible. The the high the motivation, the capacity to reinvent themselves and um and to be innovative and, and creating different ways to help the community is absolutely um inspirational. It is it is incredible.
0: Well, keep up the good work. Thank and, you. And thank you so much Alison. Thanks Ben. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks again to Alison Sombradero. Hope you found the show useful and informative. As always, we would love to know your thoughts on the subjects we have covered and the issues you think we ought to address. Please contact us through the usual social networks, including Twitter and Facebook at ShotArm Podcast. Our thanks to our producer and director, Eric Aspera of NewsDoc Media, who makes the magic happen. And finally, thanks to you for joining us. Have a great week and a safe
1: week, everyone.